Welcome to Inside Out again this Wednesday night. It's nice to see all of you here. We should have had youth group outside tonight. It's beautiful out there. Okay, before we get into the message tonight, um, I'm going to ask you guys a question that I want you to discuss, your, discuss at your tables for just a couple of minutes. And the first question is, what's the most beautiful sight you've ever seen in your life? So as you sit down, grab a bulletin if you don't have one, go grab a bulletin, and then ask yourselves at the table this question, what's the most beautiful sight you've ever seen? And talk about that, and then we'll come up in the front in just a minute. And I believe it will be Jesus. Now, with that said, I'm going to say the other right thing in the room, the most beautiful sight I've ever seen is my wife. Girls, on the count of three, one, two, three, aww. <laughs> yeah, right. It is. She's beautiful, though. Actually, one of the most beautiful things I've ever personally seen in my life are holding my two kids. Looking into the eyes of my little children when you're holding them in your arms, it's just, call me crazy, call me sentimental, but it is the most beautiful sight that I've ever laid my eyes on is to see my children as newborns. It's, I miss the days, just for a second, I miss the days, remember Julie, when they would just lay their head on your chest and sleep for a couple hours? It was just, they, they wouldn't move and they'd just be there. And all you could hear is to listen to them breathe, right? That was one of the most precious things in the world. Okay, so tonight what we're going to talk about is I'm going to get into a topic that's very hard, okay? There is a book out there, and if you've not gotten this book and you're interested in getting this book at the end of this night, I want you to come talk to me. I will purchase it for you. It's called Every Young Man's Battle. Every Man's Battle is the name. If you can give this thing a title tonight, to steal a title off of a book, if I can borrow it for just a second, this is Every man's battle that we're going to talk about tonight. And I don't care who you are, unless I even believe in, even if you can't see, you don't have sight, you have your senses of smell, that even makes a difference in this conversation. This is a battle that every man is going to face. Last week we talked about David and Goliath, where David is 17 years old or so, and he goes out into the field and he conquers the giant. It says, scripture says, and David ran toward Goliath. Tonight I'm going to talk about a battle, a giant that David should have ran away from by the time we're done, okay? But you got to understand where David's at here. As David's going through this, in, in the chapters leading up to this, David has never been higher in his life. He's never been at more of a pinnacle as the king as he is going into this story. David is known as a warrior, a musician. He's an established statesman, a great king. David's, David's kingdom, there is no boundary, David has anything he wants to have at this point in his life. He is as high as you can get, okay? That's what he is. He's at the top of the world, okay? But when you're at the top of the world, it's a long fall when you fall. And David fell in this story that we're going to talk about tonight. I want you guys to realize, too, sometimes people ask us, well, how do we know the Bible's true? Well, one of the ways we know the Bible is true is it, it slings the mud of a person's life. You see King David, who conquered Goliath last week in our message, and Probably David's somewhere around 50 years old in this story. So that's what, 30, 40 years? And now he is being demolished and he falls to a giant of a female that he's going to talk about, that we'll talk about in that story tonight. So I want you guys to realize the, the devastation. But here's what I want you guys to see tonight. Those songs that I played tonight were for a reason. This is amazing grace. God brings, he makes beauty out of ashes. God's grace leads me home. I want you guys to really see something again in this story this week. As I do these Old Testament stories, there's so many characters within these, but the character I want you to see again tonight is God. I really want you to see the character of God throughout this story and who he is and how he responds to what David does and doesn't do in this story tonight, okay? 
So what I'm going to do is I'm going to use a couple of scriptures on the front end of this story tonight. <clears throat> then I'm going to go through each point with you guys as we go through this. And then I'm going to turn you back over to your small group tables, okay? So here's the setting. David's at the pinnacle of his life. He's in Jerusalem. He's, he's got everything that he needs. He's about 50 years old. 50 years old, I don't know why David did the things that didn't do what he didn't do what he did tonight. I don't know all the details, but I can tell you that from a guy who's in his 50s, this story, let me say, let me say it this way. I heard it put this way by a pastor one time. We never outgrow this. Men never outgrow what I'm going to be talking about tonight. We are going to deal with this until we stand before Jesus in heaven. One of my most favorite things about getting to heaven in my life is, fellas, listen, there's no temptation. There's no girls I got a glance that bounce from, which we'll talk about. There's no temptation, no sexual temptation any longer when I'm in heaven. And I, but I believe this is not something we outgrow. So fellas, young ones in this room, listen to me, men. Listen very closely with what I'm going to tell you tonight because I asked this question at FCA yesterday at the high school. I talked about guarding your heart and they had a, a scripture out of Proverbs. And I, I made it, I, uh, I laid the question out to the students. What advice would you give your kids if you're my age and you guys are your age, you've got kids your age, what advice would you give them? See, the Bible gives us advice. And when, we give, when the Bible gives advice, just like a mom or dad give advice to you guys, moms and dads expect you guys to consider it. We'd like you to listen to it, right? Joe, when you give your kids advice, you want them to listen, right? The Bible's going to give us advice tonight on what to do and not to do. I'm really hoping that you listen to this because look at me, gentlemen. If you're 15 to 18 years old in this room, when you're 55 years old, you're going to be dealing with the same situation unless you're in heaven because women aren't going away and it's hard and sexual temptation is real. It's something, here's why it's so hard, guys. Because God planted it in our hearts, that desire to be visual, to be that. God gave you that, but then the devil perverted it. So what you've got in you was originally given to you at creation. That desire for a woman is very real. But what Satan did is when, when sin entered the world, it got perverted. That's why we fight with this so much. And, and is it okay if I talk to you guys very boldly tonight and very openly? Is that all right if we could just share straight? Because it's gonna, I'm going to... I'm going to share some things with you guys tonight. I hope we'll sort of stick with you, okay? So the very first thing we see here is if you look at your bulletins and the first scriptures on the right-hand side of the page, it says this. It happened in the spring of the year at a time when the kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him all and all of Israel, and they destroyed the people of Amnon and besieged Rabbah. So here's the deal. The kings in the spring would go out to war. Why? Because mud would dry up. It wouldn't rain as much. The chariots were better. It's easier to fight. So in the springs, it's known for the kings to go out to war. This is nothing new. They do this every year, right? <clears throat> but it goes on to say when the kings went out to war, here's what happened. But David remained in Jerusalem. Then it happened that one evening, David arose from his bed and walked on the rooftop of the king's house. And from the rooftop, he saw a woman bathing, and that woman was very beautiful to behold. Stop there. That woman was very beautiful to behold. Listen, listen, please listen to me. Here's what went wrong with the whole story. This is where it started to unravel, and this is for men and for women. David was somewhere he wasn't supposed to be. You understand? When the kings went out to war, David stayed home. 
He wasn't supposed to be where he was at. If you are always where you're supposed to be, you won't run into trouble and the consequences of sexual sin. But David wasn't where he was supposed to be. That's the first thing you see in this story. That's why this is such a mess. Idleness is this, because I think David, think, think about it. David's 50 years old. He's thinking, I don't need to go out to war. I'll let you pups go out to war. You guys go fight. You go battle. You go wall around in the blood and the mud and the guts. I don't want to do this anymore. I've served my time. So David kind of kicks his feet up, and he's like, he sends out Joab and everybody, and they're kicking some butt. And it's probably this place is close enough to where David could get a report back. So he's thinking, eh, I'm hanging around the house today. It's not that big a deal. Here's the word I'm going to use, idleness. David kicked his life into, into neutral. He idled through this. And when he did this, I'm not talking about, we all need rest. We all got to take a break once in a while. We all got to get rest. But idleness is, it's this. It's being idle isn't just the absence of activity. Idleness is activity with no purpose. Idleness is activity with no purpose. Fellas, put yourself around the house in your bedroom at night. You got your phone in your hand. You're kicking back. You're chilling. You got your homework done. Maybe you read your Bible. Because see, David's a believer. God's description of David is a man after my own heart. That is God's description of David. This story scares the P-wadden out of me. Because David's is basically the same age I am. I like to think I'm a man of God. This happens to everyone. It's every man's battle. But idleness is just is hanging around with no purpose. Got your phone out, got your computer on. What pops up, gentlemen? We all know the truth, don't we? Ladies, some of you girls go through this. This isn't unusual to ladies anymore as much as it is men. Do you realize the average age for someone to get hooked on pornography for the very first time when they see it? You know what the average age is now? 11 years old. 10 to 11 years old is the first time someone will experience pornography in their life as a male. Because it just pops up everywhere now. And do you realize that pornography, sexual sin and pornography, is as strong in your brain as heroin? That when you see it, you've got to go back for more. When it triggers you, you're going to go back for more. Why do I know this? Because I was your age one time. I was a guy who was wrapped up in sexual sin. Take my advice. I know what I'm talking about, and I know how to do it and how not to do it. And through this story, we're going to watch this tonight. It, I, I, I picked this quote up somewhere. If you're idle, be not solitary. If you're solitary, be not idle. So if you're by yourself, if you're, if you're idle and things aren't going that way, you should not be alone. If you are, fellas, look at me. I'm gonna, I'll share this in a minute. I'll leave that alone for just a second. But if you're solitary, be not idle. In other words, don't be alone with no purpose. Because what happens is the next thing is rooftop imagination. This is the first step of David's slippery slope. First thing was he was where he wasn't supposed to be. Man, I hope you guys hear me when I say this. I spent a lot of time as a man being where I wasn't supposed to be, and it never turned out good, ever, because I got idle and I was somewhere I wasn't supposed to be. But here's, where, here's the second part, where it all, place when it all went bad. The first step of the slippery slope for David was this. He wasn't where he was supposed to be. He's out on a rooftop. And if you can picture this, the king's palace, Jerusalem is built on a hill, and the king's palace is way up here at the top. The only thing higher in the community other than the king's palace is the temple. That's it. So David comes out. He can't sleep. He's probably thinking about the battle, just kind of chilling out. <clears throat> Gets out, middle of the night, walking out on his roof. And all of a sudden, he sees this. He looks over, and it says this. When he saw her, 
It says that David went out. You look back at your scripture again. I want to read this right. In verse 2. Then it happened one evening that David arose up from his bed and he walked out on the rooftop of the king's house. And from the rooftop, what did he do? He saw a woman bathing. Okay, fellas, you ready? Ladies, I'll talk to you in just a second. You're out wandering around off the rooftop and all of a sudden you're like, oh man, what a night. And you're like, ho! And he saw her. That's not where he got in trouble. Fellas, when we're walking the halls of school, men when we're at work or whatever you're doing, and all of a sudden you see a beautiful woman or you see something that you didn't intentionally go out to find, you've not done anything wrong at that point. David saw her. What David should have done was turned around and walked away. But it doesn't say that, does it? It says he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. He saw her, but then she was very beautiful to behold. She's hot, and she's naked, and she's laying in the bathtub right there. And David started to ponder, and David started to wonder. See, the word behold, if he saw her, he's not culpable for that. He's not responsible before God for that. Make sense? And if he saw her, he should have went, man, and went away and went back down into the room and went back to bed. Does that make sense to you guys? He should have never done that. But when he started to behold her, the word behold means this, to gaze upon, to stare at, to focus on, to make sure that you're paying close attention to her. So when John says with Jesus, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, that word behold is to go, yeah, she's looking pretty good. And I kind of like what I see. And I'm the king. And I'm by myself out here. And there's nobody's going to know anything about what's going on. See the transition? That's when he got himself into trouble is when he, he took the time to behold her beauty. He should have never done that. He should have turned around and he should have made a run for it because that's where he got himself into trouble. When Joseph, there's another story in the Bible of Joseph in the book of Genesis. When Potiphar's wife comes in and grabs a hold of Joseph and grabs her and says, Hey, come lay with me. What did Joseph do? Do you remember? Joseph ran out of the house. She peeled his shirt off, his top layer, his cloak. She peeled it off of him as he made a run for it. David didn't do that. And this is where David got himself into trouble, guys. This is where, here, watch. You ready? I'm going to teach you a little saying that you can hang on to. It's called glance and bounce. If I'm walking through the store and I got my wife here and I go, whoa, and I bounce away. And I look another direction. And where I look the other direction is with my eyes and with my heart. I make a change. I don't do that. When we used to sit, when my kids were your age, and we'd be home watching television, it was the days before DVR and all that, so you couldn't fast forward through stuff. My boys and I'd be sitting there, and we'd be talking, and all of a sudden something would come up on the television. We would literally do this. We'd turn and look at each other. How's the weather? Nice outside today, isn't it? We would take and purposely glance and bounce off of what what we didn't want to behold. You guys picking up what I'm laying down? If you will do this, gentlemen, I promise you it works. But if you sit and you behold a woman's beauty, you are in trouble. Those that are a little older in the room, they'll understand the saying that sometimes when I, when I was younger and I looked at a woman, I needed a cigarette. In other words, I had had my way with her and I'd never even talked to her. But in here, I was in trouble. Does that make sense to you guys? So you got to glance and you got to bounce. Don't stare and drool. Don't stare and drool, glance and bounce. Watch me now. When you guys are on your computers, when you're on your phones and something pops up, you're not culpable for the image that pops up. You are culpable. You are responsible before God when you go, man, that's 
That's, you know, and that takes you places where you don't want to go. Can I just make a comment this way? Watch this. David had a pattern in his life. David had multiple wives. He had, history shows David had 17 women in his life. King David had 17, up to 17 women in his life that he could have chose from that night. But that wasn't enough. See, what David was doing, he didn't have any self-control sexually, so it got him into trouble the night he was on the rooftop with Bathsheba. Watch me, gentlemen. If you're hooked on porn, if you're playing around with pornography, you have no self-control sexually. So when you fall, don't be surprised because you're doing the same thing that David did. When you're looking at images on your computer or on your phone, listen, one of the, one of the spirits, fruits of the Spirit is self-control. We've got to draw upon God to give us the self-control not to do this stuff. Because if you're doing it, I don't have to say if you're doing it. Most men are doing it at your age. Most men are involved in pornography at some level or another. Listen, there's over 50, the studies have shown over 50% of pastors are hooked on pornography. Yeah, this scares me, you guys. I know I'm human, so we got to make sure that we're paying attention to this. Glance and bounce, don't stare and drool. Jesus says it this way. You have heard it said <clears throat> that you, you have heard it said you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in her heart. I'm going to play a video clip for you guys on how to handle this, okay? I'm going to play a video clip from the movie Fireproof. And this movie, let me set it up. This man just became a Christian. His dad challenged him to do this 40-day study with his wife. He and his wife were on the verge of getting divorced. And this is not a good scene. But this guy has given his life to Christ. But he's got an issue with pornography. And he spends all of his time in front of a computer when his wife's not there looking at porn. But now he's a Christian, and he doesn't want to do this anymore. And I want you to watch his response, how he handles this in this clip with pornography. Are you that sick of your sin? No matter what your sin is, are you that sick of it? Because that's the place you're going to have to get to get victory over this and giving it to Christ. And I love that I left that scene play out because if you do this, people are going to think you've lost your ever-loving mind. If you guys go to school, guess what? If you go to school and you get rid of this thing, and you have a flip phone where you can't get online and you can't look at crap on your phone, get a flip phone. And people are going to think, you've lost your mind. What are you doing? How come you got a flip phone? You can say, listen, it wasn't good for me to have a phone with internet on it, so I got rid of it. Put safeguards in your life. Protect yourself. It's not worth it. And why am I stuck on pornography? Because at this age, most of you are going to be in sexual sin in that manner, which will lead you into sexual sin with a woman somewhere down the road. Because here's what David did. I want you guys to understand the progression here. David conceived sin in his heart to begin with, but then he committed sin because what he did is sin. He had been sinning before God sexually by having multiple wives. And that sin led to this moment on the rooftop with Bathsheba, and that's when he transitioned into committing sin. Go to the next number two point. David committed sin at this point. It says here in your scripture that it says, um, So David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David, then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him and lay with her, for she has been cleansed from her impurity, and she had returned home after that. So here's what David did. Watch me, look at me, look at me, look at me. I'm going to give you this, okay? You ready? There's a why in the road. Every time sin comes up, there is a why in the road. This is David's why in the road. David didn't have to sin. My goodness, he sent his messenger off, and he says, he comes back, and he says, this is the daughter of someone you know. Do you realize your girlfriends are daughters of someone? Do you realize when you get on a screen and you start looking at pornography, that's somebody's little girl? 
Do you realize that? You've got to make it personal. More than that, it's God's little girl. It's one of these girls in the room. You've got to look at it this way. Otherwise, you're never going to have victory over this. And if you have friends that are involved in this, get a hold of them and share this type of stuff with them. But the why in the road was this. David, that is, your, that is the daughter of, and it's Uriah the Hittite's wife. Uriah the Hittite was one of David's 30 mighty men. He was close with Uriah. That's why, her, that's why Uriah's house was so close. Is because he was, that was one of David's mighty men. But David got so wrapped up in what David wanted and he lusted after her. And lusting is this. Lusting is reaching out and taking something that does not belong to you. Now, ladies, your turn. Now, I'm not talking to anybody in this room. I know this, but listen to me. Gentlemen, wouldn't we like the girls to give us a break? Honestly, cover something up. You don't have to walk around the halls of school looking like this, right? Listen, did Bathsheba have to be bathing on the roof that night? No. Where was Bathsheba's wife at? Or where was, where was Bathsheba's husband at? He was out to war. She was home by herself. Should she have been on that roof bathing the way she was? Probably not. Help a guy out. I'm not talking to any of you girls in this room because I know you're all good young ladies and I know how you carry yourselves. But when you look at the girls at school and you have friends, you've got to ask yourself this question for the rest of your life. When you get ready in the morning, who are you getting ready for? Because a lot of our problem from men's perspectives is the girls aren't helping us out at all. Does that make sense? But they, you just got to make sure, and gentlemen, we got to make sure that we're chasing after the right, right girls as well. Make sure you don't want someone. And the king, the king got what he wanted in those days. So when Bathsheba came to the king, she probably didn't have a whole lot of choice, to be honest with you. But she didn't need to be where she was at on top of the roof with her husband out of town, bathing so everyone could see. Make sense? You're picking up what I'm laying down? We've got to be careful with that kind of stuff. So moving on with the rest of this, David, there was a why in the road. David had a choice. He didn't have to do this. And God, every single time, you guys, I promise you, David knew adultery was wrong. David knew adultery was one of the Ten Commandments that you should not cover your, your neighbor's wife. You should not have adultery. You shouldn't do this, David. A man after God's own heart did it anyway. But there was a why in the road, and he did not have to do this. When you give your life to Christ, there is a power that lives in you that you can make a choice not to live this way. You don't have to be like David and respond to this type of stuff. But he lusted after her. And lusting again just means this. See a temptation, reaching out, responding to that temptation, and taking something that doesn't belong to you. Pastor Dan gives a great example. You may have heard me talk about this before. Anybody been in Las Compadres before? When you walk in the front door, there's tables right there as you stand and wait for your seat, right? So you're standing in line right next to somebody's booth, and you look down and you think, hey, that guy's food looks pretty good. He's sitting there eating his meal. I'm standing in line waiting for my seat, and all of a sudden you grab a fork and start eating off his plate. Nobody ever do that, would they? That's crazy. But that is reaching out and taking something that doesn't belong to you. That's really what lust is. It's not always sexual stuff, but it has a lot to do with that. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this. There is no temptation, has, no temptation over, has overcome you except that which is in common, common to mankind. Everybody goes through it. And God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide you a way out so that you can see your way out and endure it. This guy in this clip, he had a choice to make. And he said, why is this so hard? Because 
Again, God's given you a desire, but Satan's perverted that desire, so we fight the wrong way. That's why this is so hard. But when David saw her, he didn't do anything wrong, but when he started to behold her beauty, he conceived sin in his heart, which caused him to commit sin. That's how the whole process of this thing works. This is one giant David should have, should have ran from. And the reason why I say it that way is 1 Corinthians 6, 18 and 19 says this to everybody in the room that's listening to this. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your body, bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you when you're a Christian, whom you have received from God you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor your bodies. Honor God with your bodies. That's a choice we have to make as believers, you guys. And then what David tried to do is he tried covering it up. This is where it really gets interesting for the next couple of minutes, and I'm going to let you guys go to your small groups. So here's David. You ready? Because it says here that um, in the scripture, it says the next thing it says is that, and the woman conceived sin. So she sent it and told David, sent him a message and told him, I'm with child. And then David goes, ah! Can you imagine being sexually active in high school and all of a sudden your girlfriend says, I'm pregnant? Here's what David does when she sends back a message and says, hey, David, I'm pregnant. So this has had to go on. Now think about the whole story here. David's laying with Bathsheba. And okay, can we just be real for a second? Do you think David had a good time that night? Just be real? Probably. Listen, sex is awesome. I'm never going to lie to you guys, but it's empty outside of marriage. It's empty outside of marriage because you'll always be chasing something that you can't hang on to forever. Does that make sense to you guys? So David lays with Bathsheba, so she sends him back a message and says, hey, I'm pregnant. You think that happened in a couple of days? No. David held on to what he'd done that night for at least a month, maybe two months. So then David goes off the rails. I'm going to give you a 30-second rundown on what he does. you got to get this. This is horrible what this guy does trying to cover up that thing he just did in the cat box. So he sends out for Uriah, Bathsheba says, I'm pregnant, so David goes, oh, well, here, let me see if I can cover this up. He sends for Uriah, who's out in the field of battle, send for Uriah, come back to town. So Uriah comes to the palace, talks to David, and David says, hey, Uriah, how's it going? How's things out in the field? You doing good? How's the battle going? He says, tell you what, why don't you stay the night here? You go ahead and stay in town. Go hang out with your wife. You can make love to her. You can hang out with your wife tonight, and then go back out in the battle the next day. So David kicks him out of the palace. What does Uriah do? Uriah is more honorable than the king. This is the kind of man I would want to be. Uriah doesn't go home to his wife. You know what he does? He sleeps out by the gate, outside in the cold. And he doesn't go home. And Bathsheba had to be down the street, basically. But he didn't go there because he's a man of honor and integrity. So in the morning, David finds out Uriah didn't go home. Make love to his wife. Oops, that screws up his plan, doesn't it? So David continues to cover up his sin. It's called the snowballing effect of sin. And you're going to lie, and you're going to lie, and you're going to lie covering up your sin. And then the next thing he does, he goes, hey, David, stay here one more night. He ends up getting, or getting Uriah drunk, hoping in the, the, the intoxication that Uriah will wander his way home and make love to his wife again. That way, David's off the hook because she's pregnant. That's Uriah's kid. It's all good, right? So here's David trying to cover up his sin. That didn't work because Uriah still didn't go home because he's a man of God. He honors God. He's a man of integrity. This had to be driving David nuts. Be David for a second. You're like, dude, help a guy out, will you? Just go home. But Uriah didn't do that. So here's what David, the extent that David went to is absolutely insane. He writes a letter folds it up, 
puts it in the envelope. He writes it to Joab, his general, on the front line, and then has Uriah carry the letter out to Joab. You know what it says? Joab opens it up, reads it. It's from the king. Says, hey, go charge the walls and basically put Uriah on the front line. Put him right up there in the front. That way he'll get killed. David writes, this is, the, the, this is what sin will do to you. This is what the snowball effect of sin is going to do to you. David gets to the extent where he writes a letter of basically Uriah's death sentence and gives it to Uriah and makes him carry it out to the front line so Joab can get him killed. Long story short, it happens. Uriah dies. They send back a message to David. David says, ah, Joab, don't worry about it. That happens in battle. It's all good. Don't worry about it. But here's the problem. In the very last verse of chapter 11, it says this. Uriah, Uriah was dead. Uh, Bathsheba mourned. After her mourning, David brings her back to the palace, makes her his wife. But it says this. But the thing, David, the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. The thing that David had done displeased the Lord. God was never liking what David was doing to begin with. Now listen, this went on for a year. All this unfolds within a year David had been doing this. For a year David had avoided God and did not want to have that conversation with him on what he had done with Bathsheba. Setting Uriah up, having Uriah murdered and bringing her in and making her his wife. Turn your tables real quick. Talk about your life with this idea of sexual sin. How would you have responded if you were David? What would you have done? Discuss that for a few minutes, and we'll come back up and finish up. There's a, there's a youth group in Florida I found out about. Their youth group lasts two and a half hours. Can you imagine listening to me for two and a half hours? I wouldn't want to listen to me that long. I don't know what they do, but the, last, the whole thing lasts like two and a half hours. That's crazy. Anyway, so I want to close with this. This is where we see God's grace, okay? Because God had had enough. You see God's mercy by holding off on this for a year. David finally got around to confessing the sin when it comes to 2 Samuel. God would be silent no more. He wasn't going to let David try to get away with this any longer. But there's a couple things that I would bring out of this is that God does it this way. His grace his grace extended to David through the prophet Nathan. And I can't get into this real long. If you guys want to go read 2 Samuel chapter 12, you'll get all the information in there. But Nathan the prophet comes to David, and he tells David a short story, a parable. And David gets so infuriated at the story, the way it's set up, that he says, this man who did this needs to die. And Nathan poked his finger at David and said, you're that man. You're the one that's done this awful thing because you took Uriah the Hittite's wife Bathsheba now listen, David thought this was a secret. David thought he'd had it all figured out when he killed Uriah. It was all over with. No big deal, right? How did Nathan find out? Because God knew. God's eyes are always on us. So God sends Nathan. Nathan says, you're the one that's done this. You're the one that's guilty. You're the one that took Uriah's wife. You're the one that had Uriah killed. I can't even imagine what David had to be like. How'd you find out? But you got to remember this too. Nathan's kind of a brave fellow because what did Uriah or what did David do with the last guy? That was in the story. He killed him, didn't he? But Nathan went ahead and he followed God's orders. And in the, in the long run, David says it this way. David said, I had, he told Nathan in chapter 12 of 2 Samuel, I have sinned against the Lord. Listen to me, everyone. When you sin, you're not sinning against someone else. When you sin, you are sinning against God. 
In this story, God is the offended party, not Uriah, not Bathsheba, not David. God is the offended party because David sinned against God. If you guys get your arms around the idea that when I sin, it is against God, the one who hung on the cross for me, that changes the dynamic of when I want to sin because it it means more. It's more personal to me that way. Uh, 2 Corinthians 7.10 says this, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. What that means is this. If I realize I've sinned against God and God alone, I'm going to repent to him. I'm going to ask him to forgive me. If I'm just busted and I think I've blown it and this just sucks, that's remorse. And that's going to lead to death because that does not bring me to God. I hope you guys understand that because that's a very important dynamic. Because what David wrote in Psalm 51, verse 4, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And it says that God desires a broken and contrite heart. You're going to blow it. You're going to fall into sin, you guys. But when you do, I want you to realize what to do. You don't have to. I hope you don't. But if and when you do, I want you to know what it looks like to repent. And David said, I have sinned against you, and you only have I sinned, Lord, and I've done evil in your sight. When you fall into sin, if you'll hit your knees and you make that statement to God and ask him to forgive you with a broken and contrite heart before him, your sins are forgiven. And he chooses not to remember them any longer. Did David deserve it? No. But God's grace reached out to David through the prophet Nathan. God loved David and he loves you and he will reach out to you and he will talk to you and he will give you opportunities to repent. It's up to you to do it. So how do we protect ourselves from falling? Watch and pray, Matthew 26, 41. Watch and pray, lest you fall into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. People, our flesh is weak. Man, woman, doesn't matter. If you don't pay attention and you get tempted, you will fall if you're following the flesh. I'm going to close with this thought. St. Augustine, an old theologian from way back, said the progression of sin is this. No matter what the sin is. The progression of sin is this. A thought begins to form in your mind, and then it turns into a fascination, which David did. That thought, he saw the girl, then he was, he, she was so beautiful, he would behold her beauty. That's the fascination, and then comes the fall. If you guys will learn to glance and bounce away from sin, it'll change everything for you. And don't stare and drool, and don't point and click. And in the middle of the night, you guys, when you're struggling, gentlemen, and I know all of us do, All you got to do is shut it off. All you got to do is ask God to help you and he will help you. All David had to do is when he saw it, if he would have, when he saw her, if he would have just walked away. Make sense? Let's pray. Father in heaven, you're good. And I'm grateful, Lord, that the story is that we see one of the heroes in scripture, David, who is a, a man after your own heart and had great victories. He was a warrior, Lord. And these lessons that we learn in here that he stayed home and he wasn't where he was supposed to be is such a powerful part of all of our testimonies. Help us to be where we're supposed to be. And and if we're like Elijah standing out there on that that edge of that cliff like we learned a couple weeks ago and you ask us, just like you did Elijah, what are you doing here? Man, Lord, I pray that when you lay that on our heart and you whisper that in our ear that what are you doing here? Why are you doing this? Why are you looking at this? Why are you stuck in this? I just pray, Lord, that we would reach out to you and that we would allow your grace to help us to walk closely with you. We don't have to sin, Lord. We don't have to walk in the flesh. We have victory over these things. We're no longer slaves to sin if we're Christians. We're slaves to righteousness, but we're still human, and we still have temptations. 
Help us to remember as men to glance and bounce and help the ladies in this room to remember not to put themselves in a position that would cause a man to be enticed that way. If we will balance this out, Lord, even in the, the sin of the world and the way Satan's perverted all these sexual temptations as we see David go through, you'll help us and we can have victory over him if we walk in the way of the Lord. And if we blow it, help us to be like David. Help us to not wait a year, but help us to be quicker about and, and not letting sin snowball like he did and try to cover everything up, but to come to you, confess our sin because you are faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I pray that we do that with our relationship with Jesus. For it's in his name we pray, amen.